We're continuing a sermon series that we started last week uh, on becoming a house of prayer. And I just want to say at the very onset here, kind of a disclaimer, you know, it's, it, it's easy to assume that because I'm preaching about prayer, I know everything about prayer, but that is totally not the case. And so one of the re- reasons I want to preach about prayer is so I can understand it better, so I can study it better, so I can engage God in, in real conversation better. And so, um, you know, last week uh, we saw the necessity of becoming a house of prayer. This is something that Jesus, he got very fired up about. And we read that story in Luke 19 where he's actually driving people out of God's temple because they had turned the house of prayer into a den of, does anybody remember? Yeah, a den of thieves. Yeah, there was temple thievery. There was robbery going on. What were they robbing people of or what were they robbing God of? And we, we could say last week that uh, because they had distanced themselves through prayerlessness, they had begun to rob God of glory and rob other people of the opportunity to see God's glory. And I think we could all agree that we would much rather be a house of prayer than a den of thieves. Amen? Yeah? <laughs> that as a church, that we ought to strive to be a house of prayer and not a den of thieves. That as homes and as individuals, we ought to order our lives in such a way that we can be characterized as a house of prayer rather than a den of thieves. And so, you know, when we're, when we're talking about this thing today, you know, teach us to pray, it's really an admission that we don't get it, that we really don't get it. Uh, the reality is that the house of prayer as a community, and I hope this is something that we can all strive for, whether you're visiting or whether you're part of another church or, or whether you're just even wondering if you can be part of a church or if that's even something on your horizon that you, know, you even desire. I would say that um, becoming a house of prayer, a community of prayer, it starts with individuals who have a heart of prayer. Do you follow that? Uh, if we're really wanting to develop a community that we can call a house of prayer, it starts with cultivating, cultivating the heart of prayer individually. And so I want us to explore this a little bit today. How then do I pray personally? How do I engage prayer personally? Is that something that, that I can become even conversant in? I remember the first time that I started talking on the phone. Um, I mean, like, you know, as a young person, my, my mom taught me how to say, hello. And, you know, just kind of phone etiquette and stuff like that. May I ask who's calling? That kind of thing. I don't remember if you're, do you remember how old you were when you started learning how to do that? Um, anyways, uh, but there was a, a time where there was someone who was actually calling for me around high school, you know. And I didn't know how to talk on the phone. Her name was Debbie, and then she was like really, really cool. And Anyways, um, but... Uh, it, it took me a while to kind of get conversant. Do you follow that? Yeah. And so I think sometimes we assume that we know how to talk to God, but really we're like, man, how, how do I even do this? What do I say? What kind of attitudes do I, do I carry in this conversation with someone I can't even see? And so that's what we're getting at, this idea of teaching us to pray. And I, b- before we even ask the, that question specifically, how then, what lessons do we need to learn? I think we need to settle a question in our own hearts and minds. Is personal prayer even necessary? Right? Do I even need private prayer? I mean, like I come to a church and they pray. Why do I need to pray when I'm on my own? You know? Is that, is that really something that is vital or is it optional? Is it, is it an absolute necessity or is it a luxury? And I think theoretically, we would all kind of, maybe we would agree that theoretically, uh, yeah, prayer, personal prayer on the, on the individual level, it's necessary, right? I mean, that, that's kind of intuitive. But then, practically speaking, 
if we were to look at the way we order our lives, if we were to look at our calendars, if we were to look at the way we actually spend our time, do you think our lives would reveal a different answer to that? That even though theoretically, yeah, we know that we need prayer, our lives actually reveal that maybe we don't, that we can do just fine without personal prayer. And so I want us to consider that just even before we even start learning about prayer. Do I even need personal prayer? I want us to go to a text in John 17. Um, I think I have it here on the screen. Yeah, John 17, verse 3. Maybe you know this, but this is in a, this is like just hours before the crucifixion. And Jesus, this is a recorded prayer of Jesus as he's talking to his father. He's, he's wanting to pray for his disciples. He's wanting to pray for disciples, not just present tense, but also future tense. And he realizes that they need eternal life. And he says something in John 17, 3. Actually, can you read it with me here? It says, Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. As Jesus is praying that that his disciples would experience eternal life, he is equating eternal life, the experience of eternity, the the abundance of a life that doesn't, doesn't end, that has no limit. He is equating that to what kind of experience? A relational experience. It says that they know you, right? So eternal life is found, is defined by a relationship with God. Can we agree on that? Yeah? Based on John 17, 3, eternal life is knowing God. And if, if eternal life is all about having this relationship with God, present and future, then wouldn't you say that anything that contributes to the vitality of that relationship is just as important as eternal life itself? Right? So even communicating with God, to know God, we need to communicate with Him. And so I would say, in answer to our previous question, is prayer necessary? Well, is knowing God necessary? Then yes, (laughs) prayer is necessary in as much as prayer allows me to know God and be known by God. And so today, we, we, we want us to, as we're just talking about teaching us, teaching, like what does God have to teach us about prayer? Let's realize that it's as important as eternal life itself. Go with me to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 11. Um, Luke chapter 11 is where we're going to spend most of our time. We'll actually take a look also in chapter 18. But in Luke chapter 11, there's a, just, just a, a beautiful picture of Jesus and his experience of prayer. Luke is the third Gospel of the New Testament. If you found it, go ahead and say, I found it. All right. Luke chapter 11, verse 1. And here's Jesus. And it says in verse 1, I'm reading from the New King James. It says, Now it came to pass, as he, Jesus, was praying in a certain place. Hold, hold, hold on a second. What was Jesus doing according to what we just read? Jesus was praying. Okay? Jesus was praying. I mean, he's, he's God. He's God's son. He's here on earth. He has omnipotence and power at his hand, and yet he feels this need to commune with his Father. If Jesus felt the need for prayer, who am I to say that I don't need it, right? And here's Jesus says, Now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place. When he ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to what? Teach us to pray. His John also taught his disciples. And I, I don't know if at that time Jesus was praying out loud. 
I don't know what the disciples heard or saw as they were approaching Jesus in his secret time of prayer. You know, maybe they just kind of stumbled upon him and maybe there was something about his body language that the disciples were just like, well, he's having an, an experience with God, an encounter with God that I don't have. The disciples see that, that Jesus is, is praying with such earnestness, with such intensity, and with such reality. This is more than just saying a script that you know, you know, God is good, God is nice, thank you God for all this rice, or whatever the case might be. Um, anyways, they, they realize that, and they're starting to draw connections. Man, the things that he's doing with the people, and the things that he does in the secret, there's a connection. The, thing, the way he talks with God and the way he reveals God in the life, I mean, there's a connection. And the disciples, they can't help but make this petition. Lord, teach us. Teach us to pray. Can you resonate? Can you resonate with that sentiment? Lord, I don't get it. How, how do you teach me how to talk to you? Can you resonate with that at all? Or am I the only one in this place? Yeah? There's something that God wants to teach us about prayer. And um, I will not uh, claim that, that the next 20, 35 minutes that we'll spend together is going to exhaustively reveal uh, the ins and outs of sincere prayer. But I hope that it gives us some direction as to ways that we can grow in our prayer life with God. And so, what does Jesus say? What does Jesus say as he launches into this? says, Lord, teach us to pray. That's verse 1, as John also taught his disciples. And then in verse 2, it says, So he, Jesus, said to them, When you pray, say... What are the next four words there? Our Father in heaven. Right? He's launching into something that many people know as the Lord's prayer. Have you heard this before? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So we're going to start looking at... Jesus responds to this request. He doesn't ignore it. He wants to teach them how to pray. Okay, so here we are. We're going to start looking into Luke chapter 11. We'll also look into Luke chapter 18. And these are the things that are kind of like the runway to the verses that we looked at last week as far as Jesus kind of driving out the, the money changers and stuff. Hey, this is the house of prayer, things like that. When Jesus says, I want my, uh, my house to be a house of prayer, he has something in mind. And Luke 11, Luke 18 is kind of that runway what is the prayer that he has in mind? So we're going to find, uh, we're just kind of pretend that you're here uh, at the school of prayer, so to speak. And Jesus is going to give us four lessons in sincere prayer. The first lesson is simply this. Prayer lesson number one is to pray with assurance. To pray with assurance. Lord, teach us to pray. And, uh, you know, actually six weeks ago, Joshua and I, we... Um, kind of spoke about the Lord's Prayer in detail. So if you want to hear that more in detail, just look on our sermon podcast. I think it was July 22, something like that. Yeah. Anyways, and so um, we're not going to spend a ton of time here in the Lord's Prayer, but I just want to highlight two essential things. The first is to pray with assurance. To pray with assurance. Why do we say that? Because the opening lines, those words that you just said with me, Jesus wants us to pray right off the bat, Our Father who art in heaven. Jesus, as he's wanting the disciples to know how to pray, he wants them to know that before any petition rolls out of their mouth, before any request comes out, before any outcry or uh, uh, expression of, of discouragement or despair, should be the expression of assurance that God is our Father. 
Do you hear that? Our Father who art in heaven. In other words, we don't have to pray in fear, but we have the privilege of praying in faith that our God is not just a father to some, but he is my father. He is our father. And don't, don't import, um, you know, George Lucas and some, you know, uh, popular media or whatever. This is not a dark, ominous, God is your father or whatever. No, 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 no. There's nothing like that, no. This is about God being our Father. And in biblical terms, this is about God being tender and sympathetic. Actually, uh, I love this text, Psalm 103, verses 13 to 14. It says, He is like a Father to us. This is from the Living Bible. He is like a Father to us. Well, what do you mean by that? Tender and sympathetic to those who reverence Him. For He knows we are but dust. Do you realize that when you pray, you're not praying to someone who's got his arms crossed? Like, where have you been? You know? You're not praying to someone who's um, just kind of waiting for you to admit your weakness or whatever. He already knows. (laughs) And when he sees that weakness, it doesn't make him uh, condemnatory. It makes him tender and compassionate. When we pray, God wants us to pray with assurance that he loves us with an everlasting love. Lord, teach us to pray with assurance. The second lesson that I think Jesus wants us to discover uh, when, when he's trying to help his disciples even talk with God is not just to pray with assurance, but to pray with surrender. Here's prayer lesson number two. Jesus wants us to pray with surrender. What do we mean? Before any petition, before expressing our desire for this or that, is actually an admission that God's desires are even greater than mine. Look again at the Lord's Prayer. Right there in verse 2, those opening lines, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So there are these admissions of, of praise, praising God for his love toward us. And then it says this, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then verse 3, that's where the first expression of of request is. Give us day by day our daily bread and forgive us our sins uh, as we also forgive everyone indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Before any petition, before any request, is this admission that, okay, wait. I know what my will is, but I would much rather have your will on earth as it is in heaven. And so when we pray with assurance that God is our Father, that He is tender toward us, that He has plans to give us a hope in the future, we can also pray with surrender, saying that God's will really is what I want. Our prayers change. I think, I think we would all admit that our prayers change when we come to God not to push our way, but to surrender to His. Our prayers change when we, we come not to push our will, but to surrender to his will. And God wants us to learn how to, to pray with surrender. So, so just think about, think about those things that you've been praying about lately. Think about those things that it doesn't take long for this just kind of one sentence, Lord, help me with whatever, whatever that is. Maybe the next time you pray, to pray first with the assurance that God actually wants what's best for you, to express praise for that, to express thanks for that, And then even to express faith that, you know what, God, you know that this is my desire, but I want your desire above all things. To pray with assurance, to pray with surrender. Prayer lesson number three. We're going to keep looking into Luke 11, and that is to pray with, do you see that word there? 
to pray with persistence. When I say persistence, uh, what comes to your mind? Is it a person? <laughs> Is it a, are we there yet? Is it, <laughs> um, I don't know, maybe it's a certain experience or um, when it comes to persistence, what do we really mean by praying with persistence? Jesus, after he gives the, the, Lord, the Lord's Prayer in verses 2, 3, and 4, he goes on to use a parable. Uh, so you're there in Luke chapter 11, verse 5. He shares this parable, and maybe you've heard this parable, or maybe this is brand new to you. It says in verse 5, He said to them, Which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, Wait, first of all, which of you would have a friend and then you would call them at midnight? <laughs> right? uh, there, there aren't too many friends like that. Um, yeah, maybe you have a few. Maybe your whole contact list. You have no bones about calling your whole contact list at midnight. But there, I think uh, for most of us, we would say that there are a select few that we would call at the wee hours of the morning. Right? And so this, this must be a good friend. And Jesus is saying, hey, think about that friend. All right? Which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three what? Three loaves, okay? Loaves of bread. Whoa, what's the reason for this? At midnight, you must have the munchies or something. Verse 6, it says, For a friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. Are you following the situation? Right? So here's a guy. This, is a, this culture is all about hospitality back in that day. And so if someone comes to your door, you kind of have this social obligation to take care of that person, right? Especially if it's a friend, apparently, according to this parable. So it says, a friend of mine has come to me on his journey. I went to my pantry. I didn't see anything. I didn't go to Costco, you know, whatever the case might be. And, and this friend says, oh, I know something better than Costco. I have another friend. And even though it's midnight, I'm going to knock on his door. In verse 7 it says, And he will answer from within and say, Do not trouble me. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. Now, you know, the homes back then, they they were not necessarily, you know, great floor plans or anything like that where the kids have their own separate wing of the house or things. You know, this is probably a common Near Eastern home where they actually shared kind of a great room concept where the, if the kids were in bed, they were literally were in bed with the parents. And so for the, the man of the house to have to answer the door, he would have to either tiptoe around or tiptoe even over them to get to the door. He said, hey, this is totally inconvenient. But then in verse 8, it says, I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, Yet because of his, what does your Bible say right there in verse 8? Because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. There's something about persistence. I mean, it's not, it's not necessarily the friendship tie. And don't get us wrong. I mean, Jesus is drawing this parallel of requesting to a good friend. But even though uh, they're good friends, what trumps that is his persistence. And, and, and with God, you know, God wants us to see him as someone we have a relationship with that we can go to at any time, at any hour. And yet God wants us to value something, not just praying with assurance of our friendship with him, not just praying about, like, not just praying with surrender, but also praying with persistence. The Greek word itself literally means without shame. Without shame. Like we don't have to be apologetic, like I need some bread to help my friend, okay? God says, hey, 
when you pray, you can pray with this shamelessness. In fact, the, the New International Version, I think we have this here. Yeah. It says, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Do you know how to pray with shameless audacity? This is, this is, this is a, a, to me, this is kind of incredible. Like, can I actually approach God like that? Can I approach Him with shameless audacity? It's interesting. Uh, what, a verse that comes to mind is actually in Hebrews, um, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. It says, Let us come boldly before the throne of grace. There's this shameless audacity. And, and Jesus wants us to be able to ask out of that shamelessness. In fact, the very next verse, in verse 9, so it's because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. Verse 9 starts out like this. So I say to you, in other words, therefore, because of persistence, I'm giving you this instruction. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be open to you. Are those familiar words to you? Yeah, in fact, we, we actually, again, just about four or five weeks ago, we looked at uh, Matthew chapter 7, where Jesus gives these same instructions. There is something about asking with audacity. And the question that I have is, where did this friend's audacity come from? Where, where did this shamelessness uh, originate? And I would submit that audacity comes from a sense of need, right? In the parable, in the parable, what was it that inspired the friend to even knock on his other friend's door? The need, right? His friend came. He didn't have anything to put before him. His pantry was empty, etc. He needed three loaves. It was something that it was totally beyond himself to provide. And here's... And as, as I was studying this parable, I guess what, what really struck me is that the more I sense my need, the more I'll pray with persistence. And I think the flip side is true. The less I sense my need, the less I'll pray with persistence. So I asked myself, am I praying with persistence? And to be honest, in that season, I'm not. And maybe it's because I don't I don't have this awareness of my lack. Maybe for some reason I'm fooling myself to think that I've got stuff in my pantry for the people around me. And the reality is none of us do. Actually, there's a picture in Revelation chapter 3 of this group of people in a town called Laodicea. And it says that uh, they have need of nothing. That's what they say about themselves. We're rich. We've got everything we need. But then Jesus says, oh, you have no idea that you are wretched and poor and blind and miserable. <laughs> you know, all these strong terms. And then in verse 20, there's a picture of Jesus saying, hey, I'm standing at the door and knocking. It's a people that don't sense their need. They're not knocking at God's door. And yet God is knocking at their door. Friend, if you are not praying with persistence, it's probably because you and I don't sense a need. If we're not knocking on God's door, it's probably because we don't sense a great lack. But the good news is that Jesus is still knocking on your door. Jesus is still knocking on my door. When we begin to sense our need, or maybe what we ought to pray for then is, Lord, give me a sense of need. 
gently, right? <laughs> Lord, please help me understand my lack softly. <laughs> and when we begin to pray for that, when we begin to be aware of our sense of need, our lack, then I think we'll start praying with persistence. And I want us to understand something, that persistence is not to be confused with insistence. Okay? I mean, we just talked about praying with surrender, right? We, we can actually say, hey, God, whatever you want, uh, that's what I want too. But there's something about persistence. There, there are certain things that we can pray for with a shamelessness. And, I, and in this parable, in this specific context, the parable reveals that this friend was knocking on his other friend's door because he wanted to meet someone else's need. I tell you, if you're desirous of meeting the spiritual need or the physical need of someone around you, God wants to bless you to bless others. Do you follow that? You feel like you have, oh man, they have questions, I have no answers. They have this need and I have no way to meet them. God loves to give you bread for someone else. That is something you can knock hard on his door for. The other thing that I think that we can pray with shamelessness about, if you keep reading in verse 9, 10, 11, all the way to 13, I mean, these are some familiar words. It says, uh, for everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. To him who knocks, it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Oh man, that'd be a really dirty trick, right? If he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? Verse 13, notice. If ye then being evil... Know how much, excuse me, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? There are two things I believe that we can constantly approach God's throne about. One, the salvation of others. And two, the gift of the Holy Spirit. God's presence within us. That's something that God loves to give Read it again. How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? It is always God's priority to save others. It is always God's priority to give us the ability to impact other people's salvation. And it is always God's priority to give us the Holy Spirit. You, 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 don't, you don't need to wonder, God, can you give, would you like to give me the Holy Spirit today? No, you don't need to wonder about that. You can knock hard on His door for that. Are we following that today? Yeah? So to pray with assurance, to pray with surrender, but also to pray with pers- or persistence, to, to pray with shameless persistence. And last lesson here, it, this might sound redundant, but it's, it's actually distinct, is to pray with perseverance, to pray with perseverance. And for this one, we're actually going to go to the next prayer lesson in the Gospel of Luke, which is in chapter 18. So go ahead and flip a few pages if you've got a Bible. We're going to Luke chapter 18. And we're starting in verse 1. Luke chapter 18 and verse 1. When you found it, say, I'm there. All right. Luke chapter 18, verse 1. This is how Luke introduces this parable. It says, Then he, Jesus, spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. So as, as Luke is introducing this parable that Jesus is teaching, He gives this introduction and he says, hey, he's teaching this parable that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. So the the whole idea is, hey, when you read this parable, the whole point is keep praying, right? 
Pray always and not lose heart. Um, so always, when, when we're talking about praying with perseverance, we're talking about praying at all times. We're talking about praying even when you don't feel like you ought to pray. Uh, we're talking about praying um, maybe actually in a more specific way. We can understand what it means by its contrast. In verse 1, and it says that men always ought to pray, what is it contrasting it against? Yeah, it's contrasting it against not losing heart. So to pray always is to pray with a full heart. To, to lose heart is to actually lose grip, to lose perseverance in prayer. In other words, persistence hits, um, uh, maybe I should say this, the opposite of always praying is when we lose heart. And literally, it's, it's when our spirits are emptied. It's when our courage is depleted. It's when our hold on God, I don't know if you've, you've ever gone wakeboarding or, or water skiing, and you're like hanging on to the, the rope, and then you realize that you, your hand just can't open, and it can't grip anymore. Has that ever happened to you? Uh, you're holding on. Okay, I'm the only one, I guess. Uh, but this is what happens when we're praying, when we're gripping God so long that sometimes we just feel like we can't grip anymore. And Jesus wants to teach us through this parable, we haven't even gotten into it, that we can pray with perseverance, that we, we don't have to lose heart. Persistence, you know, what we talked about earlier, persistence hits on that boldness, that audacious shamelessness, right? It's the, it's the attitude part of it. Perseverance is the timing part of it, the always part of it. And so, what do we mean? Let's, let's take a look at this parable. Verse 2. Let's see if we can follow the, the outline of this parable. It says this, There was a certain judge... Sorry, there was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. A stone-hearted judge, so to speak. Verse 3, Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him, saying, Get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while. Okay, you notice the time dynamic, right? For a while. But afterward he said within himself, Though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. So you follow the, the, the situation, right? Here's a judge, has, real, has no real compassion towards anyone, even widows. And yet this widow needs justice. And this judge responds positively to her, not because of the justice dynamic, but because of her continual asking, right? her perseverance. And in verse 6, the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge said. And if an unjust judge says this, then don't you think the just king of the universe would do differently or would do not just similarly, but even better than? And in verse 7, it says, And shall God not avenge his own elect, his own people, his own chosen people, who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? When you think about the people that Jesus was talking to, right? These are Jews who were under foreign oppression. They were crying out for deliverance. They were crying out for deliverance. And I don't know what kinds of things you may feel oppressed by, things that you think are over you, that you have no control against, and that you are crying out to God even day and night about. I want to tell you, keep gripping. Keep praying. Shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? Kind of a little twist at the end. 
And we'll get to that in just a moment. But I want us just to talk about persevering prayer. And I think uh, persevering prayer, at least uh, in the dynamics of this parable, it's when the judge doesn't do anything in response to the widow that she feels the need to persevere, right? And I want us to talk about this because I think this is a real dynamic that keeps us from hanging on to God in prayer. It's when we don't feel like we're being heard. Has that ever happened to you? Where your prayers don't feel like they're going anywhere? Where answers aren't seeming to come? And I'll be honest, I don't even know if I have the boldness to even broach this subject. Unanswered prayer. What do we do with that? It's what, what, at least what I do know is that the times when we're waiting on God are the times when we feel like we're not being heard by God, right? The times when we need the most perseverance are the times when we feel like we have no answers at all. But I want us to kind of flip this on its head for just a little bit because there's something here in what Jesus is teaching that causes us to, to reconsider, is it really me that's waiting on God for an answer or is God waiting on me for something else? It's right there in verse 7. Luke chapter 18, verse 7. And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? Who is bearing long with who? Yeah, apparently, according to this, I mean, and maybe you have a different version, a different translation. Uh, honestly, this, the, the Greek construction here is a little bit difficult to, um, to translate, I guess. I mean, the most literal, the most obvious is, is actually this rendering, though he is bearing long with us. In other words, wait a minute, wait a minute. Sometimes we feel like we've got this request and we're not being heard and we're waiting on God for an answer, but what if he's actually waiting on us for something else? If he is waiting on us for something else, what is it? In verse 8, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. He wants to act speedily. He wants to do it. He wants to jump right in. But in verse 8, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find, what does your Bible say? Faith. I'm wondering how to even like, process this. I'm telling you, this is still something that I'm chewing on. But I wonder if there's really no such thing as an unheard prayer. What if there is no such thing as an unheard, even an unanswered prayer? Uh, notice this text, uh, Isaiah 65, verse 24. Isaiah 65 is an Old Testament prophet. And God is actually, in chapter 65, he's talking about God's people when they're in real relationship with him. It's actually in the context of a new heaven and a new earth and things like that. And so God's people, when they have this genuine connection, it says, it shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. What? Before I've even said it? Yeah. And while they're still speaking, I will hear. It's the assurance of answered prayer. It's the assurance of heard prayer. It's not something we have to question. And so what if unanswered prayers are really prayers that we just don't see the answers to? I'll say that again. (laughs) What if unanswered prayers or the things that I think are unanswered are actually prayers that I just don't see the answers to? Or maybe prayers that I... Or maybe they're answers that I just don't want to acknowledge. Maybe God actually has answered my prayer and I'm just not giving him that... Oh, that's not an answer. Oh, man. 
What if persevering prayer stems from persevering confidence and conviction that God actually does answer and he does hear? And I think that's what sets, you know, persevering prayer apart from repetitious prayer as described um, in the Gospel of Matthew. But again, it's this idea of God bearing long with us. Uh, If you have your Bible, go to Isaiah. I want us to look at another text in Isaiah. This This is actually really powerful. Isaiah chapter 30. Isaiah chapter 30. So this is in the Old Testament. It's a little bit more than halfway through the Bible. Isaiah chapter 30, and I'm looking at verse 18. Isaiah 30, verse 18, and then we'll, we'll land the plane here shortly. <clears throat> Isaiah 30, verse 18. If you found it, say amen. Yeah. If you're in the habit of marking your Bible or your Bible app or whatever, this is one that you want to copy down. This is one that you want to put a smiley face next to, an exclamation mark. I don't know what. This is this in verse 18. Therefore, the Lord will what? Whoa, who's waiting on who? <laughs> Apparently the Lord waits too. It says, therefore the Lord will wait that he may be gracious to you. God is waiting to be gracious to us. Oh man. And therefore he will be exalted that he may have mercy on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. Ah, oh man. Oh man. Maybe, what if, what if our journey to the faith that the Son of Man is looking for in Luke chapter 18, what if our journey, our growth in that kind of faith actually requires prayers that are quote-unquote unanswered, requires time to wait on God, and really it's, it's to find that God has been waiting on us all along. <laughs> waiting on us, waiting to be gracious to us, waiting for us to open the door. Remember, we kind of referenced it in Revelation 3.20. It's God who's been knocking on our door. And so what if those unanswered times, those seasons when we feel like we're waiting on God, what we finally discover is that God has been waiting on us to be assured of his love, to be surrendered to his will, to have the faith that he is looking for. And I'll be honest, you know, I kind of submitted the idea that maybe there is no such thing as unanswered prayer or unheard prayer, but there are times, there are certain seasons in which prayers, um, we, we ought not to expect our prayers to, to be heard, quote-unquote. And these are the kinds of things, these are barriers, I would say, to answered prayer. Psalm sixty-six, eighteen. the psalmist David, he's saying, if I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. He knew, he knew. If I'm hanging on to rebellion against God, why would I insist or claim to have a relationship with God that he would listen to me, right? And then in James 4, 3, when you ask, you do not receive, Why? Because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Uh, The common denominator here is there's a problem in itself, right? There's a problem that's getting in the way, that's acting as a barrier. And so when I feel that I am about to lose heart, maybe I ought to be praying for a new heart. If I'm feeling that there is unanswered prayer, maybe the real prayer that needs to be answered is this unsurrendered heart needs to be taken down. I don't know if you're in the season of persevering through prayer. And I'm not trying to point fingers and say, no, you're the problem. (laughs) What, What I am trying to say, though, is that maybe in this journey of persevering, it's not that God has things wrong. 
Maybe there's something that God is doing in us through this journey of clinging, keeping that grip on God. Lord, teach us to pray with perseverance. As we've looked at these lessons, to pray with assurance, to pray with surrender, to pray with persistence, and to pray with perseverance. I wonder to God, or I, I wonder today what God wants to do in your prayer life. As you're just kind of asking, you know, okay, maybe these are things that I need to learn. Have, have you identified at least one thing up here that you are feeling like, man, if I'm going to sit into this, in the school of prayer, if I'm going to enlist in the school of prayer, then I need to learn how to pray with assurance. Maybe it's a matter of, uh, you know, just giving yourself time, even before you start asking God things, just to review and reflect on the fact that, wait, God has been good. Maybe there's a, a promise or two that you just need to refresh your mind with before you even enter into request mode. Does that make sense? To pray with assurance. To pray with assurance. Or maybe you're feeling, man, God, teach me how to pray with surrender. To actually prioritize the things that you prioritize. Maybe it's, you just need to simply ask God, Lord, give me the gift of surrender. Give me the gift of getting over myself, please. Give me the gift of of Philippians 2.13 that says God will work in me to will and to do of his good pleasure. I don't know, maybe it's uh, assurance, maybe it's surrender, maybe it's persistence. You're you're feeling the need to learn to pray with persistence. And if that's you, then I would say ask God to reveal your lack. Remember, because it's a sense of lack that leads to a sense of shameless audacity. And so if you're not feeling persistence in your prayers, maybe it's because you don't feel like you need anything. And so start with that, asking God, Lord, show me my need. And like we said, gently, right? Show me my need. Or maybe it's to pray with perseverance. And I would simply say, whatever it is that you feel like you've been talking to God about day and night, that quote-unquote unheard or unanswered prayer, maybe take that as an invitation from God to actually grow your faith. Maybe take that as an invitation from God to open your eyes to see that God has been waiting all along to be gracious to you if you would just allow him to do this work of transformation in your heart, to free you from sin, to transform your motives, whatever the case might be. And so today, as we close, I just want to give you a chance right now just to to pray. Um, Earlier, we had a chance to pray in partners, but I just want to give you a chance to pray in the quiet of your own heart. Um, And I know sometimes minds can go every which way. And so I'm just going to encourage you to to bow your head. And I'm going to just kind of walk us through a time where we're actually praying with assurance, then surrender, then persistence and perseverance. So let's bow our heads together. Father in heaven, I want to thank you for the opportunity to study these things and to challenge ourselves with, with what it is that you want to teach us in prayer. And so right now, just listen to the, the thoughts of our own hearts and minds. And so just in the silence of your heart, I want to give you a chance just to talk to God about who he is. Not your requests, not your desires and wishes, but just acknowledge him as your father and praise him for who he is.
God, thank you for being good. Thank you for, for being our Father, our good Father. And we acknowledge that there are experiences in our own lives that kind of run counter to that picture that the Bible presents. And so we pray for the capacity to trust the Bible's reality more even above our own hurts and disappointments. And uh, right now, God, uh, in the silence of our hearts, I, I just ask that you would hear the surrender of our heart. And so just go ahead and talk to God about your desire to surrender to his will. Go ahead and give him permission to do his will on earth as it is in heaven. And again, this is before we've uh, kind of presented our own desires or needs or even others' desires and others' needs. But right now would be the time to just identify a need, to actually articulate that and to talk with God about that. So go ahead, share with God. He, He already knows it. He's just giving you permission to talk to him about that particular request that thing that you're looking for, that circumstance you you want to change or that, that thing that you lack. Go ahead and talk to him about that. And Father, as we... Just wrap this time of prayer up. We just recognize that these needs, um, you are fully able to provide for us. And um, it's not because, you know, we don't expect you to do this because of who we are, because we're all that. But we trust that you'll supply our need. Not necessarily the way that we've said it or in the time that we've said it. But we trust that you're going to provide exactly what we need because of who you are, not because of what we've done. And so we thank you, Lord, that you want to teach us how to pray. I pray that uh, in the coming week that we would grow, that we would be stretched, that we would take these lessons that, um, that you want to incorporate into our lives and that we would actually walk in them. God, I pray that our prayer lives tomorrow Our prayer lives today would change because of what you're doing in us. So, Lord, please teach us to pray. And if you know this chorus, go ahead and sing it with me. Whisper a prayer in the morning. Whisper a prayer at noon. Whisper a prayer in the to keep our heart into how about God answers prayer God answers prayer in the morning God answers prayer at noon God answers prayer in the evening so keep your heart And all God's people said, Amen. May God grant you a life of prayer that is true and rich and deep. God bless you, friends. Have a blessed Sabbath.